Yeah, I mean, I mean we're rolling, so I got no problem with, uh, yeah. Oh, I, oh I am, sorry, I didn't know. Usually there's no three, two, one, so we're just talking now, and I'm using bad language. No, nah, it's, it's all right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't make any money from it anyway, so it wouldn't matter. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll, uh, I'll keep it PG. Yeah, so, so it was originally going to be a short to make money for the feature, but you managed to film, like, multiple hours worth for a short that you could actually transform it into a feature-length movie? Right. And this is what I think is so unusual, um, is that we started, um, we started in, oh my goodness, it was almost, yeah, I guess about a year and a half ago. And, and it's, I I had written a feature script that I, you know, people seem to like, and I thought, oh, great feature film, but you know, then, oh, where's the money? And that's a whole nother thing, raising money for a feature, you know, it's a much bigger budget. So I sometimes what I like to do when I a lot of times is when I have a feature script, I'll start with a short. So we, you know, we did our pre-production and, you know, we, we built our social media following for the film is the accompanist. And, um, and we, and then we, um, uh, we did, we had, we were fortunate. We had a few months of rehearsal. So we worked with acting coaches. We got to know each other. We felt like a family. So a lot of time together, so by the time we got on set um, in October 2018, um, we, you know, we were ready to, to go. And so we, we shot, you know, we shot our short film. And then when the DP and the um, editor, they, you know, they do an assemblage. So once they put together, they call me up and they go, hey, Fred, um, you know, we really think you should go back and make a feature because we already have 62 minutes of footage and it's pretty good. So I thought, well, okay, might as well go for the feature. So uh, we went back uh, in November the next month and we got all the juicy stuff like the emotional scenes, the sex mm-hmm. scenes, the fight scenes, and we kind of filled it in. And a lot of it was from the feature scripts. So we kind of went, not like Memento, but we kind of went backwards, you know, we mm-hmm. cut it all down and then put it back in. And, and after four months of post, we ended up with a 93 minute film that, you know, has won a lot of, thank goodness, won a lot of awards at film festivals and, and is being released June 2nd by the wonderful dark star pictures. So it's a very, um, it's been an amazing ride for me. The subject matter is something that you never see brought up anywhere. Uh, male dancers, male ballet dancers, uh, and the I'm I'm sure it's it's as competitive as as anything else as far as entertainment goes. But where did you come to the point where this was going to be your subject material? Because it seems like such a such a departure from what we usually see when we see dramatic movies. Usually it's very, very sterile and something very, you know, something that's so relatable to everyone that it's kind of bland. But here you have something that's so different. What was the catalyst that made you go after this kind of subject? That is such a great question, Mike. I mean, I I really appreciate the question because it basically, um, well, the the film is called The Accompanist, and actually we're in pre-production on The Accompanist Awakening, so we do have a, a standalone sequel. But it's basically the tagline is, when there's nowhere left to hide, the music will find you. So music is key to this scene, 
And in my character, because I, you know, wrote it for this one, not all my films, but this one I wrote with myself in, in mind because I'm a, a musician, I'm a professional musician, and I, and I compose music. And so it's really started with the music and my music training, which began when I was four, and then, you know, uh, being trained as a pianist and then going to UCLA for music and getting a, you know, an undergraduate degree there. So it really started with the music, but in combination with ballet and how that happened was over the years of, you know, like I went to graduate school in Oklahoma city university of all places, which was <laughs> turned out a lot of people who went to Broadway and a lot of Miss Americas and very talented folks there. But when I went there, um, uh, Let's see. Oh, yeah. So so I, I got connected to ballet. I've always been connected. Like, I, I have four kids, actually, and they're they're young adults now in their 20s. But the when my girls were young, I had them do 10 years, and they were about ready to kill me. You know, by the time they got in their teens, they go, Dad, this is enough. We did 10 years at Westside Ballet, which is the uh, preeminent, like number one, really training school for ballet dancers, certainly on the West Coast, but maybe in all of um, the U.S. And so Westside Ballet, which has been around for 50 years, my girls took classes there uh, for my daughter, my two daughters for 10 years. So I was very involved with ballet. I always loved it as an art form. And as you kind of referred to a little bit, I think you were referring to the athleticism of male mm -hmm. ballet dancers. Mm -hmm. No one could top that. No football player, nobody in sports. I defy them to do what male ballet dancers do. And what I wanted to do with this, aside from um, having been a piano accompanist at the, actually the ballet studio, Westside Ballet in Santa Monica, I got the idea there sitting at the piano right before class. I go, okay, I'm a musician. I compose music. I want to use my music in a film. I'd love to act in a film and play my music. So why don't I just use ballet as the backdrop and tell a gay love story, something that I would love to see a good one on screen. Cause there's a lot of, no offense to anybody, but there's a lot of cheesy ones. Mm -hmm. And even the good ones that we all know, like call me by my, uh, call me by your name or Brokeback mountain. Like I wanted things to be realistic. I wanted gay male relationships to look re be realistic and portrayed realistically in sort of wanting to represent the um, LGBTQ community, but from the aspect of gay male dancers and mm -hmm. gay male relationships with ballet as a backdrop, with my music, and I added the ingredient of magical realism because I love that uh, magical realism in film. So I um, added into the storyline um, that my music is he it can heal people and it actually sends you back in time to where you need to be healed the most. So if people heard the music and dancers wanted to be healed or, you know, that kind of works into the storyline. And I added one more thing, which was a family drama. I had two teenage children and I was going through a divorce. So I just threw everything in to kind of bring out these themes that are important to me. I wanted to bring back beautiful classical music, beautiful ballet, beautiful love relationships of, a, you know, the gay dimension, because we certainly 
have a lot of heterosexual love relationships, but I think gay gay relationships are not really portrayed very well in film or very often. So I I had those goals in mind. It's that kind of and the music is the basis because I I started out as you know being trained in music. So I don't know if that answers it, but yeah, <laughs> that does it. Uh, like you said, like. Uh, gay male relationships are not explored often in media and something I see quite often. And I've, I've been kind of vocal about is when people say we've got representation and their, their version of representation is just two women. I'm like a lesbian relationship is the safest thing you can do in media. It is so widely accepted, but seeing two men on screen in a believable relationship where you're not, you're not going over the top or you're not, being snide about it. You're actually showing two people, two believable people is so rare. And I don't know if it's because we're not quite as progressive as we think we are, or people just have that unease about two men. I'm not sure what it is, but uh, to, to see a film that, that takes such a, a heartfelt stab at it from what I can tell in the trailer is just, it's, it's great to see and it's the kind of real representation that we need. We need to break down those barriers where we're not going after the safe thing. We're going after the, the thing that is very common, but widely ignored. I, I agree with you. I mean, that, that was really in my mind uh, too, because it's also been part of my own personal experience. Like, I was married for 20 years mm-hmm. and to one to woman and I have four children and I, I'm, I'm very blessed. I have a beautiful family, but when my wife left me, I just started, you know, dating men and it felt natural. So mm-hmm. that's kind of how I sort of segued. That's a, I, I don't know. want to stereotype my, myself as a easygoing California type, but I'm pretty laid back <laughs> and I try to go with the flow and this was just the flow that happened and it felt, you know, felt like it was right. And, um, you know, I think that, um, just from my own experiences have experienced everything, you know, being married to a woman, actually being partners with man, having, you know, children. I just felt like, yeah, I just, just what you were saying. I just felt like, um, this is something we don't see. And if we see it, it's either cheesy or it's not well done or it's not realistic. And not that I'm an expert, but <laughs> I felt like this is something I'm interested in showing. So we do have sex scenes in the movie, but they're, they're, they're not um, gratuitous. They're actually showing what happens in a gay male relationship, what it would be like. Because, um, again, you know, as we said, it's not something that people – the norm of the population understand it may seem frightening it's like oh two guys together what's that because we we still are kind of a puritanical culture in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. i mean we do have that that basis for our background and our you know spirituality and religion a lot of the stuff in our culture so but the thing also in addition to that because i love music so much and because i think it's such a powerful universal force and I love ballet as an art form and its athleticism. I wanted to show it from the male perspective. Again, we have movies like Black Swan where we get a lot of the female perspective. And, and that was a very interesting film. 
But again, <laughs> I, you know, I wanted to show ballet, like, what is it like when you really go to ballet class? I've played hundreds of ballet classes. I know what it's like, you know, from all perspectives. And so we were fortunate to gather some professional dancers and uh, some people from the studio that work at the studio to teach or, you know, we, we had, there's a sequence in the film where um, four of the guys and my lover, Brandon Wachowski, who's uh, trying to, you know, go a step up in his career as a ballet dancer. We, uh, we have um, this gentleman uh, who's an artistic director actually auditioned him and tried to make it like a real audition. And uh, so, yeah, but again, there's, there's some fantasy in there because we do have the magical realism uh, aspects to it. So, um, and then there's a mystery because it's, you know, the pitch is like call me by your name meets black swan meets um, the green mile because of the mysticism in it and the sixth sense, because there's a twist at the end that really nobody guesses. So, I won't give it away, but it, it kind of, I think why audiences or even at film festivals have responded to it is because it's not because I did it. I'm not egotistical that way. I'm just thinking that this subject matter, it's, it's more um, unique and original to people. So they are maybe craving something as an alternative to franchises and sequels and superhero movies, which all have their place. But, you know, like we got to balance it out here a little mm -hmm. Uh, the filming, filming the uh, these men doing their either their their training or their their warm ups or the actual art of dance in this film, it's got to be very taxing when you're filming it. You have to do your multiple angles. You have to frame so many different shots. I mean, how did how did these guys cope with with what was probably a very strenuous time on them? Even though they are like peak, they're at their peak athleticism. Um. It, that was not, I mean, you know, we were definitely in very, uh, you know, like stag low budget. I mean, it's an indie film. So we did not have a lot of money to pay our top professional dancers. You know, we got some of our dancers in the master's program at Loyola Marymount, but we were fortunate to have actual people from the studio, like um, Nader Hamed, who did the boys audition sequence. Um, he danced with Nuria for four years and danced with principal, you know, companies all over the world. Mm -hmm. So we really had, we were fortunate to get some world-class people who, you know, did give a little bit of their time. But again, as I think you were saying, um, the problem wasn't getting our, uh, you know, once we had our dancer actors to get the um, actual physical performance out of them. The challenge was technical because, everywhere you looked there were mirrors and mm -hmm. so when we went in to edit it was a nightmare because we go oh this scene looks so good and you'd look at it literally 50 times and then you go oh there's that effing light there's, there's <laughs> like one scene it was a close-up of ricky palomino who played you know played brandon and he's it's just a brilliant um he's a dance influencer but he's a brilliant actor and i think oh i love the way the secret ends and there's a light like what right about right above his head we looked at it 50 times. And so the editing in that aspect was a bit of a nightmare because, you know, we, we really, I'm particular as a director about every frame. There cannot be one frame with anything that, in my mind, looks doesn't look professional. 
So there cannot be any lights in there. <laughs> so, it would be one thing. If it, <laughs> it would be one thing if it kind of looked like a light that you might find in like a rehearsal facility, but then, <clears throat> but then a studio light. It's like, oh, it's a little bit out of place. Uh, how do you? I, I mean, mean, what what kind of concessions do you make at that point? Well, I, I'm perfectionist, you know, it's like, there's, you know, there's, there's so many, there's flags and there's, you know, the stands, the feet or the, the sandbags can be in there. Um, we got to the point where we, there were television screens uh, in the corners of the studio. And so above the mirrors, so you could see the reflections of the lights in the television screen. That, I mean, no one, even if you could see it now in the film, no one will ever notice that. But, you know, it got to that point where we were just going crazy. But um, there, you know what we did, which maybe wasn't the best way to do it, but we just tried to capture the class without at least getting the camera, you know, or the camera crew in there. And then we just um, kind of dealt with it in, in post. But we had a long post for, you know, it was four months. And it, it, was, um, it was a lot of work just calling through just the class footage, just the dance footage to get, mm-hmm. you know, the music and the dance and all of that. So there were a lot of, um, you know, there were a lot of factors. And, and one, thing, one thing else that I might share is that because we went, I've never heard this story. You know, you hear a story like Whiplash. They shot the short film. It was a success. Then they went out and raised the money and shot the feature, right? This yeah. went from short to feature all at the same time. So I don't know if I mentioned this before, but we shot in October uh, 2018. But we actually went encouraged. I, I may have mentioned this, but by the DP and the, and the um, editor, went back and, oh yeah, I had said, shot all the juicy stuff, which was fun, you know? <laughs> oh good, we can go back and shoot the sex scenes and the, you know, the fight scenes. And, and there, you know, there's those, as you can tell from the trailer, there's a lot of drama that goes on in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, uh, for, that, for that roughly three minutes of a trailer, that, it is packed with story. It's not just a whole bunch of just quick flashes. I mean, you could easily do that. You could just have, you just have a guy in front of a mirror and put some music in there and just have him do something over maybe like a voiceover that's kind of telling a rough idea of the narrative. But no, you show what that movie is. There is there is no two ways about it. You know what you're getting into when you see this movie if you watch that trailer. I, I have to give credit to um, – because we had two trailers and they were okay. But when Dark Star Pictures came in, which is our distributor – and Mike is the, the owner or the CEO of the company. They are such a class act and they just, they work so diligently and include the filmmaker as a partner. And um, I tell you, they did the first pass on that trailer and I cried when I saw it because they did such, uh, the editor did such a brilliant job cutting together because it's constant movement and it makes the film look exciting, which is like what you want from a trailer. You know, you want to go, wow, that's, Ooh, I, I might want to see that, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, usually films like this usually aren't my things. I'm mainly a genre guy, but when I saw it, I was like, I, I actually want to see this. I, I, there's no aliens. There's no blood. There's no gore, but I'll watch it. <laughs> That's um, 
That's such a compliment, Mike. Thank you so much because I don't feel like it's a gay film, you know, or it's this because there is a very, very, very touching and very important family component and my relationship with my teenage kids mm-hmm. and in my, my character, Jason Holden, you know, having to explain to his son that he's gay, it's uncomfortable. You know, it's not something that, that can just sit easily with kids or sometimes, you know, I mean, they'll, they'll be accepting, but it takes a, an adjustment. So it was, there, there's, yeah, there's a lot in there. And that's encouraging uh, for me to hear you say that because, I think um, there's enough variety in the film, whether you want a family drama or you mm-hmm. like the gay love story or you love dance or you love beautiful music, you know, to, or you love magic, you know, just to, <laughs> um, maybe, um, I mean, we've had, you know, over our, I, we hadn't touched on this, but we had a wonderful eight or nine month run on the festival circuit and because we don't have big stars in our film, we have dance influencers like Julia mm-hmm. Doherty is a big dance influencer. So is Ricky Palomino. Julia plays her daughter, Isabella. But because we didn't have a Judith Light or a Alec Baldwin or some, you know, recognizable name, it kind of, in, in U.S. Um, politics, film festival politics, it kind of shut us out of some of those bigger festivals because they, yeah. you know, they kind of ride on celebrity and a lot of them so we changed our strategy and we went mid-level we knew we weren't going to get into outfest or we tried but you know or sundance so we kind of went mid-level to very uh, established and some prestigious festivals but ones that thought that would judge our film just on the quality of the film and not if Mm -hmm. it's some big actor in it and that strategy worked really well for us because we had an incredible run and, and it's more, this film is more like an Italian art film because the Italians love us. I, I want to be Italian. I'm, I think I, I want to be reborn as an Italian and grow up in Italy somewhere beautiful because that, and I love Italian films, you know, that just that sort of emotion and passion. And the Italians, we've won, I mean, we won Best Fantasy Film at the Florence Film Awards and, and a lot of other Italian festivals. So, I mean, um, it's just interesting to have that sort of, and we first sold at Cannes Film Market last year. Uh, you know, our first big sale for the film was at the Cannes Film Festival, which was kind of a really great start for us. So, um, yeah, there's definitely, um, you know, a, a, a bit of a European film, but I think enough excitement to, oh yeah, so it, we've had such a, once we figured out our film festival strategy, we got into a, a quite a few festivals, but kind of riding that middle ground of good festivals and then, you know, winning uh, quite a few awards. So it's, we, we had to figure things out, like as we went along, especially with the marketing, because we had a pretty big social media following. And one thing I would just add that um, was great is that, I mean, a smart thing we did was from the beginning, like we did a little Indiegogo campaign, but from the beginning when we were in pre-production, our um, wonderful British producer, Julie Eagleton, who's so amazing, such an amazing writer and PR person, she put together our, our Instagram. And if you go to at the accompanist movie, you will see so much content. And we built the following. So I didn't have to go look for a fantastic sales agent. I didn't have to go look for a fantastic distributor they came to me 
And to me, that's kind of unheard of because don't you usually send your film to a distributor and then like six months later you call <laughs> and you go, did you see it? And they go, oh, it's on our pile. Yeah, we'll like it too. You know, because I mean, seriously, uh, doing the film festival circuit, you see, I see so many great films, but guess what? They never see the light of day because they don't get distribution and that's a horrible shame. Yeah, uh, like... Um... You mentioned before Outfest. Uh, last year there was that vampire film called Bid that had Nicole Maines in it, and it it just it disappeared. And what's bad was it didn't strike while her name was red hot, and so now it's just now coming out, but it, like no one cares, <laughs> even though it's it's a great and, film. It it does subvert expectations for a vampire film, especially one that deals with. Uh, the lesbian and, and trans community, but it needed to strike at the right time. And unfortunately it didn't. And it just got kind of swept aside after that initial rush at Outfest. And um, what's it called again? Bit. B-I-T. B-I-T. Well, you know, and you bring up such a great point because my daughter and I, who she just graduated from film school at a great film school, Portland State University has the best film school. They're, they're just incredible. And so she's obviously, she's in the film. And we were, last night we were watching Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. It's a great movie. It's mm -hmm. amazing. But you know what? It kind of died because they didn't market it correctly or maybe they should have changed the title or whatever. And I think it's such a shame. Well, on the converse point is like with my little film, it's had, I, I'm superstitious, so I'm just going to knock on wood. It's, we've had such an amazing ride because we built it, we built it, we built it, we built it, we built it. So now, to this point, like a year and a half later, we're, you know, when we go to open our initial round of platform in the English-speaking world, June 2nd, on Amazon and iTunes, we have a big, it's like a big wave pushing us right into what's June? Gay Pride Month. So I think it was just brilliant. I'm not saying I did it all, but our marketing team and Dark Star Pictures and, you know, Ryan and Andrew at Motion Picture Exchange, we had smart people with a lot of integrity helping us all along. And I think there's magic in the film and there was just magic <laughs> to this process because this film, honestly, Mike, is so much bigger than I could have ever imagined. I, I just didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know. We were just kind of just doing the best we could going along, you know?